A lot of people I once worked with at the Supermax Federal Prison located at Marion, Illinois, will disagree with my next statement. Not all people who go to prison are evil, or even bad. Sometimes it is just a mistake. Sometimes a good soldier makes a mistake. I've seen it plenty of times. I was a military police investigator, a civilian police patrolman, worked at a sheriff's department, and was a guard at a Supermax Federal Prison, and I was even an assistant dog catcher. The names and dates in this podcast are true. I do not protect the names of criminals, but I do victims. Now, I'm not an inmate lover, nor do I wish to coddle prisoners, but I do have compassion for those that have made a mistake and wish redemption. I like the story of redemption so much, I named my son Moses. Can't think of a better story of redemption than a man who was a murderer being given a second chance to become a prophet of God. On the other hand, those involved in law enforcement in any capacity should be held to the highest standard of conduct. The military, by its very nature, puts soldiers in situations that they didn't sign up for. Some examples are the tanker who is assigned to an infantry role in Afghanistan, a cook who gets assigned to a prison and put in charge of prisoners is another one, now that's the situation we have here. Alexa Elizabeth Ramon joined the Army in Indianapolis, Indiana as a combat engineer in January of 2008. She served over 13 years and more than four of those was uh, outside the United States. During her service, she was awarded the Army Commendation Medal and the Army Achievement Medal three times each the Army Good Conduct Medal twice, the National Defense Service Medal, the Global War on Terrorism Medal, the Iraq and Afghanistan Campaign Medals with two campaign stars each, the NCO Development Medal, the Overseas Service Ribbon four times, the Combat Action Badge, and several other awards. Her record was exemplary. She attended leadership schools and learned how to deal with bombs and how to save lives in combat. She was a well-trained soldier. I'd like to add that when I switched from enforcing the law on the streets to working inside a prison, I was given extensive additional training. I had the advantage of learning in the classroom the manipulative nature of men who are locked up. I also had the chance to learn from a cadre of tough, no-nonsense colleagues who had decades of experience working in a correctional environment. It seems that the Army relies too much on the belief that soldiers are disciplined and are unlikely to fall for the tricks inmates use. I think that's a grave mistake of leadership to give only a very cursory class on prisoner manipulation. Ms. Ramon may be a casualty of this problem. Staff Sergeant Ramon was a black female assigned to supervise the kitchen and the prisoners working there at the Northwest Joint Regional Correctional Facility on Joint Base Lewis-McCord. That was Fort Lewis for us old-timers. The military these days combines bases and some facilities like a stockade. This is one of those places. She was assigned to Headquarters and Headquarters Company, 508th Military Police Battalion, 42nd MP Brigade, Fort Lewis, Washington. The unit was reactivated in 2006 for the needs of the Army. During a routine inspection of the prisoners' quarters, a cell phone was located in a Buck Private's exclusive area of control. 
He was a white male serving a sentence of confinement. The inspection was reported to the local MP investigations office by Sergeant First Class, who was the operations NCO of the facility. The phone was found inside a sock in a laundry bag assigned to the prisoner. It was seven minutes after 5 p.m. on the 16th of June, 2016. The phone was sent to the U.S. Army's Criminal Investigative Lab, located in Forest Park, Georgia, for a digital forensic examination. Most people think that if they put a password on their phone, it's safe from the prying eyes of Big Brother. You should re-examine your beliefs if you think that's true. When the report came back to the investigators at Fort Lewis, it was revealed that Staff Sergeant Ramon and another white female specialist who was a co-worker with Staff Sergeant Ramon had sent and received text messages with the prisoner. Staff Sergeant Ramon had sent 237 messages and the specialist had sent 17. Neither women had alerted their command that a prisoner had a cell phone in his possession. Now this is a real big deal in a correctional facility since the possession of a cell phone can facilitate the introduction of weapons, drugs, help intimidate or harm people on the outside of the facility or even aid in escapes. Also, when male prisoners have something they can blackmail female staff with, it's almost always ends in the female staff being forced into a sexual relationship with the prisoner. Having a cell phone that a staff member brought in to the inmate is a perfect blackmail situation. This type of investigation would take priority to prevent a disturbance or breakdown of order at the correctional facility. The MP investigators found a witness, a certain private first class, who said that Staff Sergeant Ramon and the prisoner were always talking together, had made special meals for each other, and ate them together in private. He said that some of the other shift supervisors thought the relationship was inappropriate and may have crossed the line into fraternization. The PFC said he had never brought the situation to the attention of the command and had just brushed it off. Several times prisoners had asked him to bring in tobacco, CDs, and cell phones, but he had always refused. When he heard Staff Sergeant Ramon's buddy and special meal partner was caught with a phone, his first thought was that she had brought it in. After the cell phone was found, he went straight to his supervisor and told of his suspicions. He related, in addition to all the other damning evidence, that the prisoner said he didn't want to work if Staff Sergeant Ramon was not his supervisor. On the day the cell phone was found in his sock, he came to the kitchen so many times that he had to be removed. He seems to have wanted to talk to Staff Sergeant Ramon desperately. The military police were very interested in to hear what the PFC had to say and took a very detailed statement from him. The other shift supervisor, also a staff sergeant, corroborated the PFC's statements about Staff Sergeant Ramon spending time alone with the prisoner. He said they would spend time together in a back room of the kitchen. He never observed Staff Sergeant Ramon talking to the other prisoners in the same way as she did to her special meal partner. She did speak to other prisoners to instruct them, but never in the same way as she did to her special prisoner. The other shift supervisor was aware that the prisoner did not want to work for him on his shift, but campaigned to work on the other shift that Staff Sergeant Ramon was in charge of. He thought their behavior was not appropriate, but kept his opinion to himself. He never reported her until asked by the military police investigator. 
He did add that Staff Sergeant Ramon was a very friendly person and was nice and talked to all the KPs, the prisoners, and the other cadre. He said she was just a nice person. When asked, he said that there were about 16 prisoners on each shift, and there was two shifts in every day. So that would have been like 32 prisoners or thereabouts, split up between himself and Staff Sergeant Ramon. When uh, Staff Sergeant Ramon was brought in, she denied ever having overly friendly conversations with the prisoner. She said that the prisoner was working on a different shift than hers, but would often work over onto her shift. He was energetic, talkative, and could handle a lot of different tasks. She denied having secret conversations, having personal conversations, bringing in a cell phone for the prisoner, or knowing of anyone who did. She said that she never had a prisoner ask her for contraband and never heard of anyone who had. She denied all wrongdoing in writing and under oath. Most people would like to believe that a male prisoner would try his very best to protect his prison cadre lover. In most situations, this is not true. In 23 years in prison, I can only think of a single time that the prisoner didn't do all he could to tell on his female staff member. Most consider it a badge of honor to have seduced her. It is a serious crime and considered rape in the federal system or at the very least sexual abuse of a prisoner. It does not matter that the prisoner is male and the staff member is female. It is still rape since the prisoner has no ability to say no to their abuser. True to form, during the interview, the prisoner's story differed considerably from Staff Sergeant Ramon. He said at first they would hold hands. They kissed a few times. They talked about him performing oral sex on her. She was having marital issues and not getting along with her husband. Thus, she was vulnerable to his advances. The first time they had sex was on the 16th of May, 2016. She went into the bathroom first, and then, when the coast was clear, he went into the bathroom and put his hat on the handle of the bathroom door. That way, people would know the bathroom was in use and not enter it. He kissed her and performed oral sex on her for two or three minutes. Then they left the bathroom separately. For the next several weeks, they went into the bathroom to have sex. It was always the same. He would perform oral sex on her. Then she would lean against the wall near the sink, and he would have sex with her from behind while she just stood there leaning on the wall. It would last four minutes or less. He never wore a condom. The weekend was the best time to have sex because she was the only NCO on duty then. She went to Kansas in the start of June 2016, and that was the last time they had sex. Her junior NCOs had started working with her, and she was not the only NCO on her shift anymore. She had also repaired the relationship with her husband and didn't need sex at work anymore. Staff Sergeant Ramon had bought the prisoner a phone off post. She would text him the numbers for the phone card and charge the phone's batteries for him. He'd put the batteries in his boot and take them back and forth from work to the bay where he was quartered. The prisoner had gotten another female staff member to send letters out for him, bypassing the usual procedure. Yes, he told her name and all the particulars of that episode as well. He said he never had sex with that staff member because she was a bit standoffish. He was able to prove they had contact because he had texted her old phone with the one he was caught with. It was an iPhone S6. He told a very detailed story about another prisoner having sex with a female PFC. 
They talked together about their respective affairs, him and the other prisoner. And the other prisoner had warned him not to do oral sex on Staff Sergeant Ramon because he thought she must be having sex with other men if she was having sex at work with a prisoner. This same prisoner and his lover got out of the army and are reported to be living in Florida together. On 24 February 2020, at a general court-martial convened at Joint Base Lewis-McCord, Washington, Sergeant Alexa E. Ramon, United States Army, pled guilty at court-martial to two specifications of failing to obey a lawful order and one specification of adultery in violation of Articles 92 and 134 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Now, this was a plea deal. She had been charged with one specification of conspiracy, one specification of wrongful solicitation, two specifications of false official statement, one specification of wrongful distribution of a controlled substance, one specification of possession of a controlled substance with the intent to distribute, and two specifications of prostitution in violation of Articles 81, 82, 107, 112A, and 134 of the UCMJ. She could have gotten more than seven years at hard labor in Leavenworth if convicted of those charges. The military judge sentenced Ms. Ramon on the plea deal to be reduced to the grade of Private E1 and confined for 150 days and be thrown out of the Army with a bad conduct discharge. She was taken under military guard to the Navy Brig located at Miramar, San Diego, California, where she served her sentence starting the 25th of February, 2020. The military prosecuting attorney declined to bring charges against the other female specialist and the prisoner. Now all parties involved are presumed innocent unless convicted of a crime. As a postscript, she appealed her case. The United States Army Court of Criminal Appeals said, quote, After reviewing the entire record, we conclude that this case does not call out for relief. We find, for example, no evidence of impropriety, government overreach or excess, or other matter that might weigh in favor of noticing a waived issue. In light of appellant's serious crimes, we view the terms of the agreement to be generous. I did notice that her last name changed during her appeal. It seemed that her marriage did not survive her period of incarceration. I didn't research that part, but just assume it would be difficult for a husband to stand by his wife after hearing the evidence at a court-martial. I'd like to point out that I identified the race and gender of the main characters of this for the following reasons. Recent events in Wisconsin made a big deal of the race and age of a white child who shot three men. Three white men. The child was called a white supremacist and murderer by most on the news. The preceding you just listened to was a black woman who was convicted of using a man in little better way than slaves were used in the old days. He was sexually abused while in a condition of involuntary servitude. Now, I'm not advocating anybody commit crimes or abuse people, but it is a comment on our times that this takes place in our modern era, and it is not front-page news, and nobody was lynched or a town burned to the ground. Just something for you to contemplate. 